0: Hello and welcome to today's episode of Surf Splendor. I'm your host, as usual, David Scales. And before we get into the bulk of today's show, a uh, couple little orders of business to attend to. Firstly, is just that we've updated our website, uh, the music archive on our website, with a Spotify player. So for every episode, there's a Spotify playlist with each song from each episode, um, all the way episode one through you know current episode, which I think is thirty seven or today is thirty eight. So, if you use Spotify, you can go on to our site and either play it from our site or just search on Spotify for Surf Splendor, and you have access to all of our playlists there. So check that out, and then of course um, on our website. All past episodes are archived for free as well. If you're new to the show and you haven't heard the past 37 episodes, everything is there, archived for free. And um, each show actually has its own page dedicated with the related media. So in today's show, you know, we talk about a couple of different surf videos, and so we link out to all that stuff. Everything can just be found on one page on surfsplendorpodcast.com. So check that out. And then also feel free to share the show with friends from there, post uh, today's show on their Facebook wall or tweet it to them or whatever, and that really just helps grow our show, which we really need it to do. I mean, it it certainly has grown and it continues to grow every month, so I appreciate you sharing. But again, the more listeners that we have, the more shows we'll we'll be able to produce and also just attract bigger uh, fish, You know, attract bigger guests and industry personalities all the way up till Kelly Slater, which is the ultimate goal, of course, for everybody in the surf world. Um, But thank you for listening, as always. And then if you listen to the show in iTunes or Stitcher, uh, just make sure to rate and review the show there. Um, Again, that serves to the same effort of helping the show kind of grow and be found by others. So that's it. That's it for business. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and all that kind of stuff. Just search Surf Splendor. That's where you'll find it all. And enjoy today's show. It's an episode of Surf News with Scott Bass. And I will be back at the end of the show to close us out. Thanks again. Down the line,
1: Surf Talk Radio. Scott Bass and David Scales with you. David, of course... Uh, how would you say, it?
0: what do you, you co- co-host this show, yeah, and yeah. then the weeks that we have off from this show, I publish my own show called Surf Splendor, which um, it's different than this show because this show we talk surf news and it's always you and I, sometimes there's a guest, but with Surf Splendor it's uh, profile pieces or just conversations with people in the industry, Steve Pesman of the Surfer's Journal for example.
1: It only took me fifteen seconds to have an old man moment there, where I couldn't think, of the word, <laughs> where I couldn't think of the word that I wanted to say.
0: Well, we haven't actually reset that kind of conversation in months, probably. So it's worth saying for new listeners, I guess.
1: Yeah. So surfsplendorpodcast.com, That's David's website. I would urge you to go there, and then my website down the line, Surf Talk.
0: It's oh, down, down the line line
1: radio. DownTheLineRadio.com. Down
0: down oh, man. DownTheLineRadio.com. Yeah. <laughs> Two old man moments in 30 seconds. Yeah,
1: very good. <laughs> now,
0: it is uh,
1: May 13th. It's a Tuesday here in Southern California. We have a very strong,
0: incredibly strong, and rare Santa Ana for the springtime. Rare, but coincidentally we had it last time we recorded this show two weeks ago to this day
1: did you think do you think that this speaks to global warming and the change in the atmosphere and all of that stuff do you do you believe in climate change do you think it's occurring on a on a drastic scale not like on an a normal scale
0: uh, I have no idea I don't I don't think that it's happening but I don't not think that it's happening I'm not invested or um, you know educated or up to date on the information well enough to form a opinion is it happening scott that was a hell of a backpedal there pal (laughs) well honestly like i mean i've seen things change but i mean the world's been around for so long it's hard to say whether things are changing in decade spans i would agree with (laughs) that i
1: would agree with that i I think that uh the sample size of mankind being on the earth is too small to determine plus i think planet earth can take care of itself it's you know we're just a little pimple on its bottom to be quite frankly
0: to an extent but um I don't know the Santa Ana winds. We we have them occasionally. Normally, in the spring right?
1: it's rare. Okay, it's not a springtime thing. Usually, spring is onshore northwest winds.
0: Yeah, for those who aren't li- don't live in the area, which is the vast majority of listeners, um, Santa Ana is the Santa Ana winds basically create an offshore flow. So in Orange County, if there's swell running when those winds happen, you get ideal surf conditions, and the the um, two weeks ago when it happened that whole swell was featured on Surfline. they did a big feature on it was all of the swell throughout um california but a lot of the photos came from orange county because we had the favorable winds
1: and today we have as i as i mentioned we have these beautiful offshore winds real strong like hawaii it's sunny and clear and dry no humidity but the waves there's no waves today so it's pretty small
0: i know i'm gonna try to surf on my way home um just on like a single fan or something. But last time we recorded, I texted you that evening when I got home because on the way home from um, where we're recording this show, which let's toss to that actually. Where are we recording this show? Well, we're
1: broadcasting live from the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center in San Clemente. And David and I would urge you to come by and visit and check out the boards and check out the photographs and check out all the history and culture and heritage that is a part of the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center Here in San Clemente, surfingheritage.org is the website.
0: Yeah, so we were recording the show here last time, um, San Clemente, and then I was driving north and I pulled into Newport Beach and surfed the afternoon session with the favorable winds and there was like maybe three to five foot combo swell running. So it was peaky. It was honestly like ideal conditions for Newport, probably a foot or two smaller than ideal, but still shoulder to head high. And I sent you a photo or two after that, um... I surfed for three hours. It was unbelievably fun. Like one of the most memorable, memorable days from Newport Beach that I've had in a long, long time. Little barrels, like guys who could barely surf, getting barreled and spit out of waves. You know, you just stand there basically and get spit out. Nice. So it was awesome. Good stuff. Um, I have a question for you though. Just yeah. kind of talking about personal surfing experience as you go through uh, different phases in your life where you have responsibility, you know? Yes. Um. I got like five or six waves that day that I was pretty psyched on, like like good little barrels, and then one or two that were actually really good. One of them was good enough. It was a backhand uh, barrel going left. Like had to kind of work through it, got spit out. It was awesome, you know? Awesome enough to that a guy paddling out paddled up to me afterwards and was like, dude, that was so such a sick wave. And But my question to you is like, As cool as it was, it didn't feel as cool as I remember surfing feeling when I was younger. You know, like it happened and I was psyched, but I didn't like... I wasn't giddy with excitement. I was just kind of like satisfied with excitement. Do you? Yeah,
1: you know, some of this um, I think has to do with um, what is our perception of surfing? What is the reality? Would you surf if nobody watched you surf? Sometimes, you know, we surf because we want to get... You know, as kids, we want approval from our friends. You know, our fellow surf buddies. Right. We want them to, and and we want people to watch us surf. And it's kind of a, va- a vain, a vanity play, and it's 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 kind of it's an ego uh, stroke. Mm-hmm. And so, I think when you get to that place where you're like, you know what, him paddling up to me and saying, "Hey, that was a great wave," didn't feel quite as good. I, It sort of begs the question: Would you surf if there wasn't anyone watching you? Yeah, that is. And if you did, how would
0: you ride the wave? Very differently. Yeah, I would have more fun if nobody was watching. I think Um, I'd be less kind of self-conscious. I think that might speak to why you're kind of questioning
1: your enjoyment level. Yeah, it's because you know what are you doing it for? Are you doing it for partly for an ego stroke, or partly because you just want to rinse off the stress of the day, Mm -hmm. or you know? And so I think a lot of things come into play there
0: yeah well i think as a whole the experience is more satisfying i don't have the huge highs and huge lows you know like catching that wave didn't spike my excitement level but when i go home at night or throughout the course of the week i might not surf for another week i'm still living off that kind of enjoyment or the satisfaction of having accomplished you know something that i enjoyed doing whereas in the past it's like I'd get that spike of excitement, but the next day, if I wasn't at the beach at 6 a.m., I would then be spiking with a low, you know?
1: Yeah, so, I do know. I, do, I, I follow that completely, and I think it's important that you try to get in the water more. I don't think once a week is enough for you.
0: That's not true. I mean, I, I was surfing a lot, especially during that run of swell, but I was just using that as an example. And
1: And to further that point, though, that means having equipment so that you can get in the ocean every day. Right. And it means riding a stand-up board if you have to do a long-distance paddle. Mm -hmm. It means riding a longboard, riding a fish, riding a shoreboard, taking a hand plane if you want to go to the wedge and get wet. Yeah. But get in the ocean. Yeah. Because it's, especially as we get older, it's easy to kind of get kicked off the horse and not get back on. And I think it's important for our stress level to stay in the water.
0: Um, I know you got an email to read, but I've got a segue based on your point, which was... um, a couple days after that swell, it had kind of gotten a lot smaller and I was I was not psyched to go surf, just my normal equipment having had those great waves. And uh, Surfer Magazine and probably the Encyclopedia of Surfing also posted a little tribute video to Derek Hind. Did you see any of that stuff?
1: No, but I can imagine. I've seen plenty of what Derek does. So I, yeah. The fin-free stuff is incredible.
0: That's what it was. Yeah. It was like, they posted a video of him riding kind of knee-high, a uh, knee-high right, uh on a fin-free surfboard doing little slides and he has enough channels in the bottom of the board where he can get drive out of it but then he would break free of the drive and go into a slide and it looks so fun and so rad that then when i was at the beach the next day and the waves were one and a half feet i'm like screw it i'm gonna go finless and so i did like two or three days straight of trying to surf finless and it was mind opening yeah it was crazy difficult i bet so difficult, I learned from watching him just to stay super low. Yeah. Almost in like a drop knee stance almost, you know. But I was able to really figure it out and have a blast doing it. Like where I could kind of drive down the line a little bit and then at the appropriate part go into a spin and come out of the spin. And um, I just – it was like a day where kind of to your point, I wouldn't have paddled out. And I ended up surfing for two hours just being completely challenged. New muscles were challenged, too. Like, I was sore in different ways because I was so low the whole time. But um, I just had a – like, it was a radical experience, you know? Yeah, guy. <laughs> yeah. You know what I
1: mean? That's a yeah, guy
0: moment. Right yeah, there. it was. Okay. I'll post the video on surfsplendorpodcast.com of Derek Hine for people to see. Yeah. There's a lot of J-Bay footage of him, too. Like, yeah. a double and triple overhead J-Bay going through yeah. Crazy. So fast, too. Yeah. You can go so fast.
1: Out. Well, hopefully, we've uh, inspired somebody to try that. Um, well, I'll get to this email. Uh, Teddy Allen from Miami Beach, from South Beach, Florida, sends us an email. And he says, um, I was paddling out yesterday afternoon lis- after listening to the show. And um, this occurred exactly when you guys were debating the surfboard as art. Mr. Porpoise reminded me what real art really is it is an expression. With all due respect, I disagree with your assertion that the surfboard is a piece of art. While many surfboards can be unique and can be crafted by legends, the material itself is not the art. Instead, the board is simply a tool for the artist, or in this case, the surfer, to display artistic expression through riding waves. So, in my opinion, the surfboard is analogous. An and, analogous? Analogous. Thank you. Analogous to a paintbrush. The brush is not the art, but it serves as a tool for an artist to produce art. Likewise, the board is simply a functional tool for surfers like you and me to express our artistic outlet. And this is exactly what you want. So Teddy brings up a great point, And then at the end of his email, he says, hey, you guys should talk about Mason Ho. He's probably today's hottest free surfer. Admit it. We love watching that whippersnapper, at least for now. So, I know you have some stuff about Mason Ho we'll get into in a minute, but um, Teddy brings up some great points. And one great point that
0: the board isn't the art, it's the tool. I really like Teddy's um, enthusiasm or like investment in the show, you know, to actually kind of uh, go into deep thought about what it is we were talking about, which our, our point was kind of in reference to the boardroom show, which you're hosting this weekend, and which is an, just honoring board builders. And as much as I like Teddy's point, and I really, like, I think he has a valid point, I would argue a separate point, which is that both things are artists. I agree. Like, the surfer is the artist expressing himself on a wave, but the craftsman is undeniably an artist, too. And they're, in fact, crafting this block of foam, which is more analogous to a sculptor with, you know, either clay or... or, marble or whatever the medium is and what i think our point maybe we didn't really talk about it enough last time our point was that surfing is the most unique thing because it's actually the craftsman creating functional art so the the paintbrush thing isn't really a true example um, and there probably isn't a true example out there that you can compare surfing with and that's why we love it so much It's one artist creating a functional art form that another artist can then use. Yeah,
1: and uh, you could take it a step further and just say perhaps if there were craftsmen that were making paintbrushes and each one was completely different, no two paintbrushes were the same and each was made with different horse hairs and different types of uh, materials that would make for the paintbrush to be used on the canvas in a different way, then we would have
0: the um what's the word I'm having a problem Appropriate with? Appropriate metaphor. Yeah, there you go. So um, there's probably knife makers, you know, like Japanese knives that are um you know, incredibly meticulously made that tradition's been passed down for centuries or whatever, and but then there's just knives that you can buy from Cutco or whatever it is, you know. <laughs> Wall so, cut. Yeah. Cut mark. Yeah, yeah. this is not an ad for Cutco. Cutco. Is there a place called Cutco? Yeah, it's like a door-to-door knife sales thing, you know, direct sales thing. Okay, fair enough. Um, But at any rate, yeah, that's a great email. Yeah, Teddy Allen,
1: thanks, buddy, for the email, and thanks for listening in South Beach. And uh, Teddy hopes to get away from South Beach and get back to where there's actually waves that break.
0: Man, I've seen some good waves in South Beach, though. It's rare. Nice scenery, too. It's beautiful. (laughs) It's warm,
1: but it's Um, rare.
0: Tell me... Um, Mason oh, Ho oh Mason okay yeah
1: so Teddy brought up Mason Ho as an incredible free surfer we were talking about some of the greatest free surfers out there and you know I think I had said Rob Machado and Craig yeah. Anderson and we talked about Dane I love- Mason Ho your
0: thoughts on Mason Ho first of all I love Mason Ho
1: I do too I think he's a great yeah. guy he's a free spirit he is fun to watch yeah, uh, I'm a big fan.
0: Yeah, I'm a big fan too, and I've spent time with Mason um, in and out of the water, and not enough to call him a friend, but definitely I've spent time with him over the past five years, and I like him a lot. I think he's nothing but just a kind like the the image that you see online is his true self. Like yeah. he's a cool dude. Yeah. Um. But I've I've actually received a number of tweets and emails about a video of Mason Ho that I'll just play for you now, uh, which is. During Surfline's Wave of the Winter contest, they asked Mason to describe his perfect wave, and uh, this, this is... This has got
1: to be one of the funniest... Um, I don't know, is it embarrassing as surfers? That... Let's
0: let the viewers decide I hope they can themselves. listen. I hope they can
1: hear it. You're going to have to crank it up, so I know, I know. give it some volume. My Wave of the
2: Winter, my, like, the, the gnarliest, like, if I could, like, if we could do anything, I'd say the gnarliest one would be, like, take off... Not at the normal second reef, just a little bit more outside and deep, and then take off on like a 6'11", or nah, yeah, yeah, take off on something like a, like something under in the underneath a seven foot board. Take off out the back there, take off switch foot, boom, goofy foot, ride in, little top turn, boom, jump regular, cruise. See a boogie board chick trying to go, oh, come in on a drop, drop in noise, boom, cruising, let her drop in, pack little chop hop behind her so she doesn't see, boom, come in, cross right there, right, and she's in a crossover, just fucking somehow scoop her onto the board, then get her on the board and then just grab rail coming into the inside. Nah, and when she gets on, do a little fade, too, a little uh, little fade look down, and then look at her, like, ass, and then just, boom, grab right by it, so everyone on the beach just thinks that you're grabbing her ass, but it's really the rail, and then, so you grab the rail, but butt's right there, and you're just looking at it, not even looking at the wave, just like, oh, and then, boom, you just go from that butt to just crystal clear, like, prettiest wave in the world, and you're just like, oh, my, and you just forget about it, and you just... You just adjust your stamps and just step on her back and just, uh, and then just like go, is look at the beach, yeah boys, and then just let the lip, boom, fall over you and then you're just like in there with the chick and then can't say what you're doing with her in the barrel because it's so a secret. Only water. If there's a water angle, then you're lucky. So you're with the chick in the barrel and you're just getting pitted, pitted over a couple foam balls. Even a foam ball in front, so you can't even see what we're doing. And then, boom, when we come out of the barrel, I want my pants to be on my head. The chick's wetsuit all, like, or whatever. chick's wetsuit on, perfect. But then her hair all screwed up, and then don't even claim the wave. Just kind of, like, shoo her off, and then do a little, like, little method. Boom, and then land it, and just... Act like you're coming in and just whoop, Johnny Boy hard kick out, boom, and then paddle right all the way back out, like through Poopa like so no one can talk to you, like you just got it to yourself, just like, uh huh, wave of the winner, motherfuckers, <laughs> wave of the winner. <laughs> and then, so that would be my, like, literally my dream wave. <laughs> all
0: right, wow. Mason Ho's dream wave.
1: Okay. So so, so yeah.
0: a number of people emailed that to me and um, a couple of them were because I went on a rant at one during one show about just like professionalism in surfing. Yes. And how we need to kind of steer clear of the Spicoli uh, stereotype. But while I believe that's true for us professionals in the industry and the big brands when they're, you know, Instagramming, they need to know that. Or press releases. or yeah. yeah, they need to know that a lot is two words. You know, it basic is. basic I, information I knew, like that. I knew, I learned something every time <laughs> we do this, David. Thank you. But that's literally what I saw on one of the big brands' Instagrams. But um, so I I have ranted with that, but I also can't help but be charmed by Mason Ho's Spicoli stereotype image. You know what I mean? Like I love that about him and. And so I don't know. I'm and I conflicted. think people
1: are charmed by that. That's I, I think surfers themselves kind of get that. Although it's it does make us as a as a whole as a as a unit the concept of surfers, you know, as a global body, it makes us look kind of stupid. But yeah,
0: I well the funny, it's thing, pretty funny. It's hilarious. It's super funny. If you don't know what... He, like, if you're not a surfer watching that, it's funny. But it's even funnier if you do know Pipeline and Pupukea and, like, all those details, you know? I thought it was brilliant. It's a little bit misogynist, though. I, I'm not sure... Also what, funny. I <laughs>
1: mean... not sure I mean, what Corey Schumacher would say about that.
0: I mean, I agree with you. It is misogynistic, but I find the humor in it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not misogynistic. I just think that that was funny, the way that Mason described that.
1: You're not so, allowed to have fun. Okay. Yes.
0: Well, well, that Ma- was good. Mason, Mason has though. enough fun for both of Look,
1: that video made its way around Facebook and Instagram and all that. A lot of people saw that. And um, it even made its way on, I found it through some website that was making fun of surfers. Saying, yeah. Look, surfers are lame, stupid, Spicoli-like mm-hmm. characters. Here's proof positive. Here's professional surfer Mason Ho. Listen to this guy talk. Can you believe what he's saying? Yeah. They say something like he needs to come up for air or he doesn't get enough oxygen or right, something along right, those lines.
0: right. I saw that too. I think it was on break dot com, so yeah, it's made its rounds, but I don't know, it's brilliant. I loved it. Like, if you were a comedian, you could not script it funnier than that. Like Mason's classic. I I hope that that was
1: one take, and that was like sincerely one take, which I think it it. was. Yeah, you know, because. I mean, I'm not sure how long Mason thought about that dream wave of the winter, but it certainly was a dream wave. It seemed
0: off the cuff to me, man. He
1: sort of left out the smell of her perfume and the plumeria that was perhaps placed perfectly behind her ear as she dropped in. We'll have to wait for next winter.
0: Yeah. We'll have another dream wave. Um, tell me about the San Diego Surf Festival, or the San Diego Film Festival. Surf Film Yeah, Festival. San Diego
1: Surf Film Festival, wow, big success, you know, um, sold out crowds and... A lot of fun. I um, I saw the Derek Dunphy piece on Twig. It was pretty good. You know, just it was rather raw. I don't think there was a lot of thought put into it. Oh, okay. um, It was a short film, fifteen minutes of Twig. You know, mm-hmm. um, it wasn't. It was neither good nor bad. It was mm. just a a short film on Twig. You know. Okay. It was a Stoker. Um. And then I saw a movie called Granite Stoke, which was about New Hampshire, surfing in New Hampshire. The Granite State? Is that what that is? Yeah. Okay. New Hampshire's the Granite State. So it's it called Granite Stoke or Got the it. Granite Stoke. And that film was neat and, and there were some really great moments. There was also, um, like most surf films, it was filled with sort of the same old cliches, you mm-hmm. know. which is what, when I look at surf films with a critical eye, Um, that's probably the one thing that I find, um, problematic is that they're filled with the same old, you know, surfing so wonderful, it changed my life. Um, you know, surfing, if you're a surfer, only a surfer knows the feeling, right? If you're a surfer, you have to go to the North shore. Every surfer has to do that. Um, Surfing in this community is special. When I think about all my sessions, I always think about my home break. Right. Like, there's just so many cliches that have been done over and over and over and over that when I hear I'm in a surf film, I think to myself, really, the filmmaker couldn't come up with anything better than what we've heard millions and millions of times? Yeah. And, and look, I don't want to take anything away from the passion that was put into these films. I think... It's important that we do these films, that these films exist, that film festivals exist. But I would just ask that we up the level a little bit. We up the quality of storytelling. I've told you, I believe I've told you this, but I want to hear a story about why surfing sucks. You know, I want somebody to make a film about why I quit surfing. Hmm. We know all the reasons why surfing's great. Please don't make me a film. Uh, make a film about that again. I don't want to hear about how great surfing is and how it changed your life and how you know the surfing community rallied around. You know, there's one central part of this movie. There's this little girl named Molly who sadly passes away from cancer, wow. and the surf community there rallies around her, and it's great. And I actually got choked up. You know, I almost, I, I welled up a little bit in my eyes, and and it was very touching. But then they went on to say that, hey, you know what? This community's special because we rallied around Molly and her parents. Well, guess what? Every community rallies around kids with cancer. It's not just your community is what I'm saying. And so they sort of made it seem like, hey, this community's special because we rallied around. Well, that's not the case. It was special that you did rally around her and her family. But there's communities right now that are rallying around yeah. kids with cancer all around the it world. It wasn't unique to the surfing community. Right. Yeah. And, and that's sort of what, you know, if I'm going to be hypercritical. But again, I, I find myself kind of parsing my words a little bit because I don't want to um, dampen anyone's enthusiasm to make a surf film. I would just suggest to you that you really find something unique and, and go with it. And don't make the same old surf film.
0: Well, the best film, the best documentaries, regardless of uh, surf or not, are just about individuals and they go into depth about telling an individual story. And so that's kind of what I'm more interested in is I would love to know the story of somebody with an interesting life who happens to surf, you know, surfing's part of their life. But
1: well, here's the thing. Here's the character in this movie. right? To me, the character in this movie is the state of New Hampshire. Okay. And surfing in New Hampshire, and they had some great footage of these guys that are hardcore snow, um, you know. But this film could have been done in five minutes, oh, okay. and it was forty minutes, right? And so there's, you know, obviously editing issues. Um, but again, yeah. I don't. I'm not saying it was a bad film. It was a great movie. I'm glad they make. I'm just sitting here telling you that look as as sort of a. A talking head here on the yeah, podcast yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to tell you the way I felt about it and that's the way I felt about not just that film but lots of surf films and I've seen lots of surf films and quite frankly films that I've made that mm-hmm. were horrible and cliche ridden and it's time to up our game a little bit and let's do something and like I said one of the greatest films I saw was a film about surfing in Finland this was last year not this year and because Finland became the story. I that's interesting to me. That's the character that's the protagonist and um
0: yeah. yeah. I I agree. Um like in with surf, whether it's documentary film or just surf edits, you know, just uh surf porn edits so to speak. Both of those have become very tired to me. Like I haven't really seen anything in, in probably years now that really inspired me or was fresh or new. Um, there's probably a few actually that I have, but I can't think of them now. Maybe we've talked about them on the show, but by and large, it's like people just keep following the same formula and it it, it is tired. It is. Was there any that you saw that you loved?
1: No, but I only saw three movies. One night basically. Yeah. I just went to one night. I saw three movies and, um, nothing that I loved, but I'm sure there were some great films. I only saw just a small sampling of what was available. And again, I'm not saying they were bad. I'm just saying that certainly there could be improvements. And there were many moments in the films that were great. And I'm not yeah. here to—I don't want to be the guy that poo-poo's the filmmakers' movie. because I know how much heart and passion it goes into making a film. It's hard, and it's there's no
0: money in it. It's time-consuming. Um, Sounds like podcasting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you're also a guy who's seen hundreds and hundreds of surf films. So for an average viewer at the film festival, they might've loved some of this stuff cause it was fresh to them, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Would uh, I reached out, I mentioned last podcast that I wanted to do a show from there or with some of the filmmakers. I emailed, I would say six of the filmmakers, none of which transpired to an interview. <laughs> so that was unfortunate
1: they didn't get back to you or just didn't work out or whatever half
0: didn't get back and half were out of town and um so it was like i kind of these questions that you and i have right now that we're bringing up is the exact stuff that i wanted to discuss with them and um i'm unfortunately haven't been able to pull those together but maybe we'll make it happen you know on a month unrelated to the surf film festival just do it on it, its
1: own. It used to be uncrowded, now it's crowded. We should do something about the um, etiquette in the lineup.
0: Hmm.
1: Is that, That's that another one, of the, one of the themes? I mean, really? just the same themes same themes throughout oh, okay. every single movie. bit right, like, right. Really? No
0: kidding, dude. You, yeah. you
1: had to put this on film.
0: Can you send me an email? a completely, a completely, I don't know, incidental. On an incidental note, of a little bit of are Surfing Magazine's flip books. Have you seen those? No. Okay. So um, they're basically a digital magazine. So
1: you have to subscribe?
0: No, you don't. Surfing Magazine's been um, producing them after each event, after each uh, ASP WCT event. So um, rather than devoting a lot of space in the print publication to that, you know, to a contest... They've been creating these digital magazines which run a hundred pages sometimes um, that are really easy to navigate and use like there's a website that you publish them on called issue and you basically just click on it it opens up into your full screen and you just flip through pages and you could zoom in you can read the text real clearly but um, because there's and there's no advertising in them either it's just their staff photographers and staff writers unpacking, The event the contest um and they're really well done and it's like all this great imagery that they spend two weeks compiling during this contest they cover a lot of the free surfing a lot of the time so it's not just the event but it's everything that surrounds the event really cool portraits really cool dialogue and captions and stuff um they're fantastic so i'll post the last events i'm sure that they'll then post a rio flipbook because that event just ended yesterday but um, I'll post the Bells Beach one at least, because I know that's published already. Um, well, I
1: guess that's a good segue into the Rio event, right? Yeah,
0: there's a lot of ASP stuff, actually. A couple acquisitions. Rio just ended. Rio
1: de Janeiro. Yeah. Congratulations to Michelle Bourez, Sally Fitzgibbon. And Sally, yeah. Sally Fitzgibbons. The Spartan and Sally Fitzgibbons.
0: Yeah. And Two Spartans, kind of. Yeah, Sally's she's quite sort of Spartan. Spartan-like. Um, what were your thoughts? Did you watch the event? I did. I okay. watched the event. Um,
1: selfishly disappointed that uh, my fantasy surfer team sort of failed me, but, um, no one really cares about that from, from a from a viewer standpoint. Um, it's a little disappointed in the wave quality and the, and the location, you know,
0: um, free. That's linkedinjobs.com/surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.
1: You know, part of me is like, you know what? It's a good change up. It's kind of neat that they have it in basically in, you know, crappy beach break, although it wasn't
2: that crappy.
0: I mean, It was pretty crappy. It was pretty crappy. There was a couple rounds that it, had That's exactly waves. right. Yeah. There was a couple rounds Literally two rounds.
1: <laughs> I now, here's mean,
0: the thing: is I find myself
1: saying, "You know what? I can watch Mick Fanning and Joel and Kelly and some of the guys in crappy waves." But yes. there's some heats where I go, "Really? Do I? I don't really want to watch. You know, uh, you know, Tiago Perez and Rayoni Montiero in a heat in mm-hmm. crappy waves. Yeah,
0: it's just not entertaining. Yeah, well, I would argue I don't want to watch any of those guys in crappy waves when we could watch them in great waves. This isn't a con. We're not trying to find out who's the best surfer in crappy waves this year. We've got the finest athletes in the world, and the most fine—they're finely tuned. And it's like let's put them in high-class, high-quality conditions and watch them run on all gears. You know, all cylinders firing. That's what I want to see. Well, it's well put. And we also already have two arguably superior beach break Uh, beach break stops on tour in Portugal at super tubos and france at Hosseger, and it's like i'd rather see those we already have those events we don't need another punchy beach break you know yeah a third punchy beach break so i i all in all did not enjoy this event um i'm glad it was it happened so quickly they, they kind of pounded through it yeah they did and um a lot of shakeups too like mick fanning losing in you know the third round and um kind of guys winning heats that you didn't expect to win heats. Chloe and Dino obviously made the final. Yeah, that was a breakthrough performance deal. for yeah. Chloe. Um, Travis Logie, you know, had a pretty impressive performance. Like, guys that just kind of... They were able to leapfrog a few spots in the rankings.
1: But Travis Logie is good for one or two events where he he does goes pretty far each uh-huh. year, you know?
0: Actually, he... And he he went farther than I expected, but he didn't win the heat. There was a controversial heat where he used priority to drop in on Chloe and Dino. And it was pretty blatant. Like he was just doing it so that he'd get hindered by Chloe, who had taken off on the wave deeper, dropped in straight on Chloe, blocked Chloe, And um, it was just the shoulder of the wave. Like there was no scoring potential in that wave. But the judges deemed that Chloe hindered his scoring potential, gave Chloe the interference. But because it was such a low scoring heat, Kaloe beat Travis with one wave. Which was only like a 6.5 or a 6.7. That speaks to how bad the waves were. It does because there was a lot of heats that guys made it through without a, a 10 point total. You know, with fours and, five, four, threes and fours. And I
1: saw, you know, there was a heat. I want to say the quarters or semis with Adriano and Kelly Slater. And Adriano caught one wave in yeah. 30
0: minutes. Yeah, Kelly got his at 10. At a beach break
1: where there's tons of windswell. you'd think you'd catch more than one wave. Yeah, that was the heat where Kelly got the
0: 10. Kelly got a 10 right at the beginning, backed it up with a 5. Adriano got a 3.4 or something. With like two minutes left. And, yeah, never got a, never got a, first, a second wave. Now, the
1: 10 needs to be talked about because... Okay that was mind blowing i mean that was when you the, the the angle looking down the beach the second angle they show you yeah it's pretty incredible i mean if you want to know who the best surfer in the world is yeah. i think it's pretty
0: clear it's kelly slater it's kelly slater uh, i'm not going to argue against that point <laughs> go ahead <laughs> But you know I, dare you. I, I don't know, maybe this is blasphemous to say, but when I saw that, it reminded me of that 10 that he got at Pipeline against John John this past year, where he free fall dropped into the barrel and got blown out, kind of hands free. And um blasphemous because how could you compare pipe to a Rio beach break? But it had that same like double up, you know, free fall scary drop into no handing the barrel and then coming out unpredictably. So I think that his pipeline wave prepared him for the challenges of Rio, <laughs>
1: Kelly. That, 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 I don't know if any other surfer could have done that. No, it's insane. I really don't. Yeah. You
0: know, maybe I'm
1: wrong. Yeah, but it's um, pretty incredible.
0: Let me ask you this: Are there any benefits to having the stop in Rio that you can see?
1: Well, from the ASP standpoint, there are. I mean, it's it's sort of like bringing, you know, I hate to use this cliche, but it's like bringing the circus to town. And mm-hmm. it's great for the economy. It's great for the ASP's economy. It's great for their image. They really get to stroke the Brazilian professionals and bring them the light in the media. It's, it's like having an event in New York City. You know? yeah, yeah. It's a big media circus for everyone involved down there. And probably there's, you know, even, even the non-Brazilian surfers get a lot of benefit of the Australians and the Americans and so forth. So I get why they're, why they're doing it, but you could definitely, and you already made the great point that, look, at the end of the day, if it's really about great waves, then that shouldn't be a spot or a stop on the tour.
0: I think there's probably a lot of other events that they can do there that would have some of the same benefit that don't have to be a CT event. You know, some of the QS, like the prime event at Soccer is happening next week, and they can incorporate some of that same uh, community benefit into that event, I would think.
1: Maybe, but from the ASP standpoint, look, they want to showcase their finest. They want Kelly Slater there in front of the entire Brazilian media. Yeah. You know, surfing in Brazil is like it is in Australia, it's front page news. Right. It's a big, big deal. So I, it's kind of like having a, a world tennis stop, you know, like you got to have one
0: in your main mm-hmm. country. I do like that they. there seems to be a lot of community outreach with that stop. Um, the Waves for Water campaign, yeah. which is partnered with Hurley, gets a lot of the Hurley team riders to go and, and work there. I saw that Kelly Slater went and worked with um, mixed martial arts fighter Vitor Belfort in one of the jujitsu gyms there and went and did demos and hung out with all the kids. And so I see a lot, especially on people's Instagrams, surfers' Instagrams, um, going and doing community outreach and working with kids in the favelas, you know, cause there's a lot of poverty. Yeah. And, and that's,
1: that's all very cool. And, and so, you know, are you going to give it a pass because of that? No, heck okay. no. Yeah.
0: But I think again, they should incorporate some of that stuff into other events. We don't need a CT event. I mean, really what it amounts to is it's boring to the, the event itself is boring to watch from a viewer standpoint. You watch 10 or 15 waves get ridden just to see one five point ride. Yeah. Lit- literally. Yeah. And then, I mean, the the percentage of 8s and 10s that we saw throughout the event was probably the lowest we'll see all year on tour. And that's worth noting and taking into consideration, you know, for where we hold events.
1: I don't see them taking this event off the tour. It's just got too much. There's too much upside for all the other aspects that we mentioned, Um, regardless that the waves are horrible and can be horrible. It's just there's there's just too much politics
0: well as they're the the new ownership of the ASP as they're growing it they might keep it on tour just to kind of placate the right people and to build revenues but maybe after two or three years when they have all those things in place they'll start to be a bit a little bit more uh, selective in their venues um There was a couple acquisitions, though, that the ASP made since we had our last show.
1: Acquisitions or licensing agreements?
0: Yeah, licensing agreements. Acquisitions of the licensing, maybe? Can we say that? I don't know. I don't know either what the right terminology is. But you're right. Yeah, licensing agreements. Well, licensing
1: is is Vans owns it, and then they they go, look, we'll license it to you for Mm -hmm. three years, right? You know. Yeah.
0: So So they, they... um the Vance license, Triple Crown, right? They licensed the Vance Triple Crown and the XXL Awards. Yeah. The big they already own the Big Wave World Tour. Yeah. So now they have the uh the awards. And that that ceremony makes that so goes much
1: sense. It. And that's really Graham Stapleberg, who worked at Billabong, who who dealt with the Double Awards for probably ten or fifteen years or more. Him now working for the ASP going, Hey, Paul Speaker, this event, the double Awards, is gonna keep the ASP in in you know, the world limelight and the media's spotlight for a long time. It's a no-brainer. And I really see the that acquisition um, sort of at the hands of Graham Stapleberg. I'm sure he had a lot to do. He really got into Paul Speaker's ear. Not that he probably needed to. I'm sure Paul saw the light, too. But I really sense that that was um, Graham Stapleberg's doing.
0: And when they acquired the Big Wave World Tour, this is kind of goes right with it. Kind it kind of does. How could you not yeah, exactly. do the big ceremony at the exactly. end of the year? or if you did your own ceremony it would compete with this conflict with it but let me ask you this does it change anything for us the viewers now that the ASP is involved with it with the double XL awards yeah
1: um it might make it a better bra- a better production it's a horrible production from a the thing that's cool about the double XL awards is the The 10-minute montage before the award ceremonies. Mm -hmm. And then the award ceremony starts and you get some really eloquent speakers like Greg Long and you get some not-so-great speakers. And basically, like any award show, it's kind of boring. Yeah. So maybe they'll make the montage... More powerful, although it's the montage is mind-blowingly good. They, yeah. Uh, Bill Sharp puts it together with some producers, and it's awesome. And yeah. I've gone to the XL Awards and left right after the montage knowing I don't want to hear all of these drunk guys on stage. Right, And um, I think so maybe what we'll see is an elongation of the montage
0: sequences and maybe a shortening of the speeches somehow. Mm. Well, we just had the, the 2014 Awards, and you made predictions in our last show— and I think they came true, right?
1: I don't even know. Yeah, Greg
0: Long won. Okay, that good. That backside barrel at Puerto Escondido. Yeah. And then I think Keala Kenley won too, which was your other pick. Keala
1: and Greg Long. Yeah. And then there was the Two Bride of the Year, which I don't know who won that. Koa Rothman and I had chosen.
0: Yeah, Koa won that too. Yeah. So good, good calls, man.
1: Hey, I'm a voting member of the Academy. They're probably going to take me off as a voting member after my uh, criticism here on the air.
0: But... Well, and after you don't even know the results of who won. <laughs> well, I watched it, and I watched the
1: montage, and I watched Graham Stapleberg up there, who's very eloquent. But once you start getting into, yeah, it's just you know you've been to one award show, you've been to a million of them, and you kind of lose it.
0: Well, I think part of the benefit with the ASP being involved now is um, co sponsorship stuff, like. They're probably, that's really what they're doing with the WCT tours as well, which is partnering with Samsung, getting more money invested into it, getting uh, more eyeballs on it. You know, that's also their partnership with YouTube. It's like, let's try to get this out to the masses. More eyeballs equal more sponsors equals more dollars that we can then spread around to the surfers. So, um, you know, we, we we can debate whether that's good for the sport or not. We have in the past, but the reality is you know, they'll be able to improve some of the production stuff that you're talking about and uh, maybe some of the awards too, you know, the prize money for the surfers. A cool thing that they could do in Rio
1: as I think about it is, let's say they have the event at that island on... um, Fernando? yeah. Yeah. That island has great waves. It's a national park. There's no infrastructure for a major event there, but they could have the contest there and then beam the event live to downtown Rio at an event structure and have like a what do they call those fan experiences, you know, Mm -hmm. where you just have massive large screens and you have the event going on in great waves in Brazil and you have tons of energy around the Rio de Janeiro Fan Festival, but still great waves that they can all see, although you're not there in person. But the Brazilian fan base is so passionate that I could see them showing up with flags, being excited about their, their, their guys and their heats. And Jumping up and down and singing songs about Brazil right there in downtown Rio as the good waves unfold uh on the other coast.
0: That that uh location, Fernando, whatever it De is. The
1: Nahorana.
0: Yeah. Have you been there? No, but I would love to Dude, go there. It, it is looks beautiful. so incredible. It's and that's like, another thing. From a tourism standpoint, they could really highlight that area. It's like they refer to it it's like jurassic park you know and um the waves are crystal clear blue water and perfect beach break barrels it looks
1: beautiful i would love to go there
0: yeah i would love to surf there too um and then the asp's involvement with the triple crown license um they're basically saying that it shouldn't change much for the viewers vans is still the title sponsor one key factor though that i read was that the new feature of this year's Billabong Pipe Masters, which is part of the Triple Crown, will be the Pipe Trials event. Right. They're going to do an event within the event. Right. So it'll exist like the normal Trials events do yeah. in other parts of the world. Yeah. Previously... The two wildcard entries came from the Vulcan Pipe Pro, I think.
1: Well, yeah, a series of events in Hawaii, okay. Vulcan Pipe Pro being one of them. But there was a series of events that led to like the Hawaiian champion that got his – the two guys that got their seeds.
0: Right. And in the past, wasn't it more than two local wildcards though? Well, yeah. There was like, there was like 16
1: 10. or something. Yeah. You know? And um, so the, the winners of the Vulcan Pipe did get in. The the top two guys, and then they also took the top H pack guys, the Hawaiian pro H guys, and put so, them in there. And that was so that equaled like a total of twelve or fourteen Hawaiian local pipeline specialists. Right and now, they're taking all of those specialists and putting them into a trials event, which they used to do. They right. used to do a trials event, you know, not too long ago, ninety nine or
0: something. So thirty two pipeline specialists um, and local Hawaiian uh, professional surfers will be vying for two wild card spots. Right, um, and then there's an additional hundred thousand prize purse for that and trials. That
1: event. money is to acquiesce and to appease the locals, because right. I don't think the locals are stoked on going back to this. Right. They want all of their guys in the main event. Mm-hmm. Now they're going. Look, we're going to do a trials like we used to. There's only going to be two of you guys in the main event, getting all the like um, positive media play and airtime and the potential to be a, a pipeline champion. There's only two of you, but. We're going to give you hundred grand for the trials. So yeah. guess what? You're going to win a bunch of money too. I'm probably going to spread that hundred grand over all of you, so you're all going to get some money. Yeah. because they all want to get paid.
0: Well, among thirty-two people, that's a decent paycheck even for last place. Yeah, I mean, let's say they get
1: fifty grand and then spill the rest of the fifty grand yeah. out amongst the, the the remaining field. It's going to be pretty good for them. And th- and when I read that, I said, okay, this is how they're going to appease them mm-hmm. because otherwise, that wouldn't that wouldn't play very well.
0: Yeah, and that was a complaint that we had uh with the last season too was just like why is the wild card entry system different for this event than other events? So I'm glad to see it um it go this way. And also it it's benefits the uh WCT guys who wait all year to surf pipeline basically and even if they go surf it in the winter they're really not going to get waves so this gives them same access to the break and to this contest that they have in the other events throughout the year because the way it worked last year was the first round for them was an elimination round you know whereas in other events the second they get if they win the first round they leapfrog to the third if they lose in the first they get to go into the second and have a second chance basically so this allows that to take place at pipeline I also
1: heard some chatter on the message boards about um, the uh, Marty Thomas and the Triple Crown guys had a meeting with the permit people in Honolulu. They came out of the meeting basically saying, what did the meeting, what happened in the meeting? And there was some chatter that, well, this now means that all heats are man on man. Oh, really? Which I thought all the heats were man on man anyway, even though they were overlapping man on man. Okay. Were there any three man heats? I think even in, like, the Reef event at Haleiwa yeah. and Sunset Beach, I, I, I don't know. I, we would need to do some more research on this. Okay. But I heard some chatter online about all heats are going to be man-on-man heats. Oh. I can't imagine they're going to do that in at Sunset Beach. But no. We'll see.
0: Yeah, that'd be crazy. Uh, interesting, though. I mean, I could see him doing it at Pipe. Maybe that's what it was. Yeah.
1: Because you know, before they had to do overlapping heats, maybe now they're just not going to have overlapping heats because
0: the main event's only going to have
1: 32 guys.
0: right. Interesting. All right, well, we'll get back to that. I mean, if they probably haven't even published that information, but you and I can ask a few people and then talk about it on our next show. Get to the bottom of it. Um, you want to hear about a shark deterrent wetsuit? Yes. All right. Hamish Jolly is a swimmer and uh, entrepreneur in yeah. uh, Australia. And he basically did a TED Talk talking about this wetsuit that he's created. And um, basically it's just a wetsuit with that's banded with white stripes yes. to kind of replicate natural poisonous uh, marine life. And um, they've done tests with it, of course, in the ocean and shark's natural environment where they put a dummy with the wetsuit on versus a dummy with a black neoprene wetsuit. And they film it, and they have video of that in his TED Talk. And I'll post the TED Talk on surfsplendorpodcast.com. What happens? His invention works. And does the other wetsuit, the black one, gets munched on? Gets eaten. Gets eaten. And the other one doesn't get eaten. Correct. So the striped white wetsuit is a shark deterrent, basically, based on their research. Nice. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. And I noticed during the Margaret— You get
1: that from my, my knees down.
0: You get it for your whole body.
1: I don't need it for my whole... I'm not going to be in the water that... I mean, my knees are... My legs are dangling over my board. That's when I think I'm going to get attacked.
0: Do you ever paddle?
1: Yes. So I'll need it on my (laughs) arms. I'll need it on my arms and on my legs. But Mm. I don't need it on my torso.
0: He has like a diamond kind of shape in the torso that is black and everything else is striped. So you kind of nailed it. But um, I noticed during the Margaret River event, I think it was Taj Burrow's caddy had a wetsuit like that that was like homemade though. It looked like he had even sprayed it maybe uh, with white stripes. And so this research had been out there for a while, but this is the first guy who's actually done significant amount of research on his own. And he's having an independent um, study like research group also kind of do their own research. So it'll be a while before the wetsuits come to market. But he was saying, you know, I look at 10 years in the future and I can't imagine that wetsuits will still be black.
1: I would agree with that. That makes tons of sense. Why wouldn't we just go with the white stripes? But our, So this suggests then that there's no animal in the in the ocean that has white stripes or that has this striped
0: camouflage feature that gets attacked by sharks. Well, he used the example of the pilot fish, which swim with the shark and feed off the shark, which the shark never attacks. You know, and there's snake species in, in Fiji that have that same banding on them it's a very um and then there's some species that actually uh convert to that when they go into defense mode you know they can they can alter their look so the only problem is we don't look good in stripes it makes you look fat, actually. They're they're horizontal. I wonder if we could do vertical stripes. They better go vertical, elongate. especially for us middle-aged men. Um, this kind of relates, though, to the shark-calling controversy that exists there that we talked about in yes, the past. Yes,
1: WA, Western Australia.
0: That actually came to an end. I don't know if you remember when we reported on it. They were yeah. doing like a three-month trial window yeah. of shark-calling. Yeah. Um, since j- they, they ended that recently and so um what they found was that since january more than a hundred sharks were caught on the drum lines and um and i think let's see it says many were released because they were smaller than the three meter minimum size but at least a few dozen sharks were killed including smaller sharks that were drowned after being hooked in one case an eight foot tiger shark was revived by con uh Conservationists after it was released from the large hook, hmm. so interesting. And uh, I don't think all the you know the the data points are in to really determine whether or not it was successful or not. But that's the update. So we'll keep you posted on that.
1: Have you seen this? Um, speaking of sharks, have you seen this Laird Hamilton golf board where no. he's so Laird Hamilton? Um, you know the one that many blame for the stand up paddle uh, invasion or um popularity Laird has invented this new golf board which is basically it's like a segue and in this video Laird paddles through a lagoon steps off his stand-up paddleboard steps right onto this Segway for golfing and is immediately on the first tee box with the three wood in his hand and as the uh, this basically it's a, a skateboard with big wheels on it as it moves through the fairway Laird is swinging the golf club and hitting the hitting the ball and moving along at a you know brisk clip here,
0: on and land, on land, on the golf course. So it's like amphibious vehicle. Yeah. Oh, so it doesn't go on water. No, no, no I'm no, it's sorry. For golfing. Okay. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha.
1: It's for golfing, and the idea is to increase the speed of play. I get it. Preserve
0: the
2: traditional game
0: of golf, but change the way. So anyway, that, that's. Um, Okay, so it's a skate. It's a motorized skateboard for the golf course. It's a motorized segway, like a mall cop. Thing. Gotcha. I had envisioned exactly as you had described it, but on water. And he no. he designed it.
1: Here he goes. We're watching what? Laird now. He I don't know if he designed it, but he's their official spokesperson.
0: Wow, he gets involved in some weird stuff, dude. <laughs> like in terms of um, the various projects that surfers have been involved with over the years, he picks some weird ones. <laughs> he does.
1: Anyway, so the Laird Golf Board, um, I don't think you'll see that on fairways anytime soon. I don't, I don't know. Gosh. If that's going to go over very well. Wow. Amongst the traditional golf world.
0: Yeah. Um, did you hear that our uh, Chaz Smith, who we've discussed at length in this show, is leaving surf Writing.
1: Yes. Oh, you did. Yeah. Okay. He's hanging up his yeah. his surf pen
0: published um a piece on surfing magazine and this is a month or two old news yeah but we never got around to talking about it previously yeah but basically saying he's going back to war correspondence and abandoning surf riding so well good for him yeah i i don't know um he's out on top go out on top yeah i guess is he on top? I, you know, he wrote a book. He did
1: a pretty gotta good. Be on book. Top. I mean, people are talking about it. I don't think he's allowed back on the North Shore. Yeah, but...
0: welcome to paradise. Now go to hell is the name of his book that we've discussed. Yeah. For those who haven't listened, controversial book on the North Shore. Um,
1: oh, you should definitely read it. It's a great read. Yeah. Super fun, easy to read book.
0: I've been following him on Instagram, and he's been posting a lot of stuff from. I think he's in Georgia right now, but a lot of stuff from the Middle East. Um, so interesting.
1: You know, no. I want to share with the listeners and with you, David, my favorite podcast. And I'm well, a-
0: Surf Splendor podcast, obviously. <laughs> no, no, you're wrong. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry to tell you. <laughs> Have you ever listened to an episode? <laughs> yes. All
1: right. I-, I listened to the Corey Schumacher episode. All right. All right. The Thomas Jefferson Hour is an incredible podcast. It's produced by two gentlemen. One Clay Jenkinson, who is, um, is a academic academic he's a humanitarian scholar and he's a an expert on everything thomas jefferson and in the thomas jefferson hour podcast clay goes into character as president jefferson and then his co-host asks the president questions about just relevant issues of the day today or back in uh you know jefferson's era
0: they'll have a different topic each show each
1: show they have a different topic and it's fascinating i'm a history geek and uh I find it just, just you know, I can't get enough of the Thomas Jefferson Hour podcast. So if you're not listening to Surf Splendor podcast
0: or, or Down the Line, down the line
1: radio. radio, you might check out. And you, if you're a, a history freak like me, you yes. might check out the Thomas Jefferson Hour. And you'll, I'll have you know that they take phone calls from listeners and they take emails much like we do. And I have called in and been on the Thomas Jefferson Hour podcast, and I asked President Jefferson about surfing, what he thought of the idea of riding waves, the idea of spending idle time chasing waves down. Not n- nothing of any sort of industrious endeavor. It's it's all quite um, seems to be, uh, you know, the just lazy. Quite frankly, what we do, and um, you'll have to listen to president jefferson's response and this was a few years ago now
0: well you just had your third old man moment i did yeah we talked about this previously on this show oh we did yeah god (laughs) oh my god and you told that story too
1: about calling in you let me go you just dangled me out there you are just like fishing you're just like look at this old man running well you know maybe i'm not doing bad for 65
0: that's true um, maybe some people didn't listen to that episode, so I thought it was worth <laughs> you going into oh, it. Oh,
1: you dangled me out there, David. No, um, yes, you let me run like an old man with Alzheimer's. Just you just let me walk down the block, and you grabbed me before I got
0: lost. Uh, the level of expertise that that guy has, Jenkinson, is pretty amazing. He can yeah. talk. He's like, have you listened to it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you like it? Um, no, I don't. <laughs> oh, you don't. Oh, well, you got to be a fan. I, I do like it, but. I only like certain subjects that they talk about. Like, they did an episode on uh, intellectual property, which was kind of boring, but then they did an episode on Benjamin Franklin, you know, and that was really interesting. Yeah. They did an episode on um, wine, because Thomas Jefferson was huge into wine. Yes, he was. So I listened to that, and that was really interesting. Um, The Women of Jefferson, I thought, was pretty good, too. So, yeah, but yeah, the amount of detail and expertise that he has is, of course, makes it compelling.
1: Well, he, he's incredible. I just want to double check his name. I don't know if it's Jenkinson yeah. or if it's Jenkins. Clay Yeah, it's Clay Jenkinson. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, Clay yeah. Jenkinson. He's I find the I find the show fascinating, but I am a Jefferson geek, so Yeah. Very cool. Um Chris Ward caught an incredible wave at Puerto Escondido. I don't know if you saw it on Surfline or not. It was a musty
0: moment, dude. That's your
1: musty moment. Yes. it's an incredible tube ride. It was just last week during yeah. the South Swell. And Chris Ward will be at the boardroom. Um, You can come talk to Chris and Corey Lopez about uh, Chris's wave. But uh, enough about the boardroom. That ride was incredible. Very late drop. He almost skidded out at the bottom. He sort of bumped his rail and finally caught his line. And uh, Pretty neat ride. One that kind of makes you go, you know what? I need to go to Puerto. That was insane.
0: (laughs) Made me think I never need to go to Puerto.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty heavy.
0: Uh, Heavy closed-out beach breaks, you know? Yeah. But, um, I mean... That rep that ride to me it is my must see moment. Um, not to jump ahead in the show, but it's my must see moment because it reminds me of everything that I grew up loving about Chris Ward. Like, and and I did, you know, I loved Chris Ward, and I used to see stuff like that from him all the time, you know. Uh, and nowadays we don't see it as frequently, and when we do see him, he doesn't always have that same amount of spontaneity and just radical rawness. But that moment was was the epitome of it he he's care he's uh not careless what's the word i'm looking for um reckless yeah you know he's completely reckless in his approach to surfing yeah just paddles into this triple overhead thumping beach break like way too late and then just all he's looking at is making it to the bottom but when he does that he then instinctively just kind of digs in and jumps up into the the line that he needs to take kind of free falls in barely catches his fins at the bottom jumps into the high line and then the thing just almost closes out just runs way down the beach without him you can't even see him you're looking into it can't see him the thing spits he comes flying out and he's just enthusiastic like claiming it accidentally it's just an insane ride and, yeah. and I don't know I love Chris you
1: know? yeah you he, he nailed it reckless is a, is a great way to describe his, his approach surfing to surfing yeah
0: so, definitely a radical wave. Well, um, I don't know what else you
1: got. I have a busy day ahead of me here got um, scales. I got scale, so. a Duke and a kook. Okay.
0: What do you want first? The Duke, Kahanamoku. Okay. The Duke is a follow-up from a topic I brought up last show, which is Dustin Barca running for mayor. I saw that. He actually has filed his papers. He has. So, I said, you know... What, are uh, your,
1: what do you think the chances of Dustin Barca becoming the mayor...
0: I think they're really good. You do? I do. If it's based on votes? Yeah, well, that's what it's based on. He's mobilized that community in droves. So I would think that, yeah, he'd be a huge...
1: I would ashamed. bet that there's um, some... some. How do you say? Ghosts in the closet? Is that the right phrase?
0: Uh, yeah. Doesn't he skeletons. have a criminal record? Skeletons in the closet? Yeah, skeletons in the closet. Thing. Yeah, but that's all out in the open. They're not in the closet, and... I don't think anybody cares,
1: and you could be right, especially in that community, which is, um, you know, it's, it's pretty passionate about its Hawaiian heritage. And um, Dustin seems to be on that side of the the argument, and all of this stuff. So, could be it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. I do know that whoever his challenger is is going to be from sort of that pro business, that pro right wing, that and there's going to be a lot of money there. And I don't know how much money is in Dustin's uh, election coffers. But you got to think that that the his opponent's going to have a ton of money from corporate America. M- namely, Mons-
0: Monsanto. Yeah, Monsanto. So basically, Barca for Mayor is his website. Um, I think that you're, to give listeners an idea, I don't know if everybody knows who Dustin Barca is, but he's a professional surfer from Kauai who um, gained his reputation from coming to the North Shore when he was younger. And then he's become a professional or kind of pro-amateur MMA fighter as well, who's become politically active because of a lot of the genetic farming that's taking place on Kauai. And so he's mobilized a lot of the community to march against Monsanto's, the main company, but a lot of the GMOs um, that are kind of depleting the land in Kauai. And then also, there's evidence of the water supply being poisoned and things like that. So, He's been doing that for the last couple of years and developed quite a, a following in his march. But he said the reason why he's running for mayor in an interview that he did with Stab Magazine, I think yesterday, that he was uh, in town one day and he knew that the local, the current incumbent mayor, was being sued by Monsanto and some of these big corporations. And then he found out that those are the companies that are actually funding that guy's campaign in the past as well and his current campaign. So these companies are the mayor's biggest supporters, but they are the exact people who are suing him for legislation that he's trying to pass against them. So Barca was like, look at this hypocrisy and look at all the corruption in politics. Somebody needs to do something about it. And I think he had prompting from friends who said like, hey, we will uh, financially back you to help get the funds in place to make this happen so i agree with you that yes he's probably underfunded compared to the incumbent however that matters less in Kauai than i think it would anywhere else in the united states yeah and he's basically running for mayor of Kauai and Ni'ihau, which is a privately owned um island i think it's the seventh largest inhabited island in the hawaii chain yeah but it's in it's owned by one family basically and it has been since the 1800s Um, basically Dustin has four initiatives and that is sustainable agriculture, cultural revival. His third is a war on drugs. And the fourth is restoring purity of the water supply,
1: cultural revival. What does that mean?
0: I think it means that like a lot of the, um, cultural monuments have been run down uh-huh. basically and there isn't a lot of money invested into them mm-hmm. and land specifically was something that i saw him talk about national parks and things like that that have been run down with graffiti and trash and all that so just reallocating funds to revive some of that
1: all right well it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out that's going to be you know hawaii has a history of surfers in politics of course senator fred Hemmings uh being the one that comes to mind and uh he was a Republican senator in D.C. Uh, representing uh, Hawaii for a number of years.
0: I have a personal thought about it. Um, I think politics, politics, especially in America, are very corrupt, and I kind of keep them at an arm's length because I think everybody has, like you said, skeletons in the closet, and I don't know. Barca. What I like about Barca is that he's not a politician, and that we're all very aware of his shortcomings in his personal life and and professional life as well. And he's not going into it pretending to be altruistic just to get votes. Like we've seen his altruism come out of a more pure place.
1: Right. But what I,
0: I hope doesn't happen, but
1: what I could see happening is once he gets handlers around him and they start to massage him into a politician and, and, and within, you know, eight, nine months, whatever it is, he, all of a sudden, all that stuff that you just mentioned that we love about him is gone. Because he's been massaged and those rough edges have been sanded down. And now he just sounds like another politician. So we hope that his handlers don't take that, for lack of a better phrase, that edge off of Dustin. That they keep his uh, motivations pure and sincere.
0: Right. Yeah, that's a good point. And I know nothing about the incumbent. So, you know, I'm not a voting citizen there. So I'm not voting for Dustin as opposed to the incumbent. But I'm supporting Dustin, I think, just from a... Uh, the mainland just because I like the idea of an everyman you know yeah running for running for the position yeah so kook of the day kook of the week kook of the week kook of the week I know that you always try to make me shame one individual you don't have to shame I don't want you to that's shame that's what you want okay <laughs> yeah I try Go I try you? to diffuse the kook among a group But what you good is to...
1: kook of the week if you you
0: know well I'm gonna take it a full different direction that you oh didn't even God. see coming uh, Beyonce's husband, Jay Z. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's an Instagram account that's worth following called Kook of the Day. And that's which, your Kook of the Week? No, no. They're, they're, <laughs> I'm actually just relating them to our Kook of the Week. They're doing a similar mission. Oh my God! You have an which Instagram account? Cannot yeah.
1: be Kook. Of, it has to be a person.
0: You gotta You gotta check them out. Actually, all right, all um,
1: right. Kook of the Day.
0: Kook of the Day. Kook underscore. You know of. I think you got to underscore where the spaces are. Yeah, but basically, and, um, this, and this person, this Instagram
1: has has created a somebody that you think is deserving of your kook of the week.
0: Everybody that they put on there is deserving of the kook of the week. Um, oh my! What if we get put on there? We could get put on there, but I'm going to show you a few pictures. This one picture they posted three days ago is a guy buying a wave storm in Costco, but he's in a wetsuit. <laughs> <laughs> that guy is awesome. He's fully embrace, suited.
1: Embrace your inner kook. That's the greatest picture I've ever seen. They're in my all
0: user submitted photos. People that see kooks out in their real life take <laughs> a photo and send it to Kook of the Day. And oh, they, they okay. Photo. So uh, a guy so in a wetsuit Can anyone in post Costco. to this? Can anyone post to this? You, you email it to them, and then they him. post it. This is a guy oh who's got his longboard in the back of his truck. Taking it to the beach in North Carolina, but the fin, the single fin is put on backwards. Yes. So that's that guy's a Kook, cook, yeah. This is a guy That can't be real. This is a guy in a bank at the teller. He matches the the aesthetic of the bank. He's got It's coincidental. No the guy who's standing at the teller at the bank. In a wetsuit. Fully sorted. Is he
1: dripping water from his legs there? It
0: it looks like there's a wet footprint under him as well. Nice. And uh, again, it's just like a candid photo that a person in line at the bank saw. A guy standing in a wetsuit, so he took a photo. Hey,
1: you know what? People stand in banks in their yoga outfits and their running outfits. What's wrong with being in a full wetsuit at a bank
0: teller? I don't know, man. Maybe you could be on Kook of the Day if you show up (laughs) like that.
1: I say embrace your inner kook. The sooner that you realize that we're all kooks, the happier you'll be. Yeah, all right, cool, dude. Well,
0: that's all I got. All
1: right, well, great show. Uh, again, our emails, uh, hello at com and surf talk San
0: Diego at, Gmail. at gmail.com. Even though Scott knew one email address, it was my email address. <laughs> that was the
1: fourth <laughs> old man moment of this show. And for the record, I'm not 65. 67 he's lying about his age <laughs> mentally i might be 65 anyway until next week thanks for listening uh, audios
0: hello
2: california
0: for listening to today's show thank you scott bass for hosting we didn't really get into it in this show but this is a big weekend for him coming up may 17th and 18th is the boardroom show which is scott's baby he is the director of it the uh creator of it and it's a pretty big deal it's the industry's largest surfboard consumer show so it's just like any other um you know, convention center type show for any other industry, but it's all surfboards and it's, everybody's there. I mean, board builders from iconic kind of legendary dudes from the early days all the way up to Matt Biolis and all the current guys. So if you're interested in surfboards or surfing in any capacity, it's an amazing show and you should go if you're in Southern California. It's in San Diego at the Del Mar Fairgrounds. Uh, Boardroomshow.com is his website. Everything you need to know can be found there i'll be there so so that is it for today's show you can find everything that we discussed in this show on surf and then make sure to check out the updated music archive updated with the spotify player and go back and listen to all the music from past episodes or just search surf splendor on spotify and you can find our account and um, all of our playlists. So enjoy that, and uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for always sharing this show. If you listen in iTunes or Stitcher, just make sure to rate and review the show. That helps others to find it. And uh, I guess until next time, we'll be back with a lot of new series of uh, board builders and shapers interviews based on this weekend's boardroom show. We've got a lot of stuff lined up. And we'll kind of sprinkle them in over the next few months. So not to hit you with all of, you know, board building episodes in a row. So anyways, until next week, this is your host, David Scales, saying thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing the show. We will see you next
2: week. Aloha.